Bill Street Caravan is brought to you by the generous support of the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau on the web at memphistravel.com. Memphis, home of the blues and the birthplace of rock and roll. I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cubbins. And you're listening to the sounds of Memphis on Beale Street Caravan. This week on the show, we have the Daddy Mac Blues Band. Singer and guitarist Mac Orr and brothers Harold and James Bonner have been holding it down for almost two decades now. They've got a new record out. It's called Blue Central. And as usual, they're touring around the world nonstop, so we're really happy you are able to stop by and visit with us today. Also on today's show, we'll hear another installment of The Man Who Invented Rock and Roll, a series of interviews from the Bill Street Caravan Vault with the late Sam Phillips. That's right, and it's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. We've had a lot of shows lately where the artist has a new record. Notice that? Uh, That's right, and it can only mean one thing. Spring is coming to an end, and summer's about to kick off. That's right. Tours, festivals, all right around the corner. (laughs) And speaking of that, on today's show, we've got one of the hardest touring acts from Memphis, the Daddy Mac Blues Band. I love these guys. All the guys in the group were at some point members of the legendary Memphis Juke Joint Band, the Fieldstones. But they weren't strictly confined to the Juke Joint. Some of my best memories as like a freshman and sophomore in college involved catching the Fieldstones in Handy Park on Beale Street. That's true. I think we've discussed this before, but the Daddy Mac Blues Band carries on a really cool tradition of what I'd like to call party blues. Yes, party (laughs) blues. And Mac carries on that tradition from the Fieldstones into the Daddy Mac Blues Band. They started off as the sort of de facto house band at the Center for Southern Folklore. You take that music plus that funky venue, and what you get is as close to a house party as it gets. I really love that it's not a purist sort of thing. It's not guys trying to sound old or play old sounds exactly as they were recorded 50 years ago. It's fun. It's exciting. It's Mm -hmm. evolving. And it's about everyone in the room shaking something. That's right. Totally. Eddie Daddle, the guy who the, who owns Inside Sounds and, and produced this record, he refers to it as soul blues, and that's a pretty good name for it, too. It's fun. It's exciting. It's raw. It's funky. It's fun. And, again, it's all about everybody having a good time in the room. If they don't touch every single <laughs> person in some way, I personally believe that those people don't have a, a heartbeat or a soul. Right. But <laughs> or a, a funky bone in their body. Yeah, you just can't sit there without becoming engaged in the music. And that's one of the great things about blues. I love that's that. the thing that brings <laughs> us all together when the music can do that for you. So it's about fun. And let me tell you, boy, do the folks on today's show have fun. Of course, what we air is pre-recorded, but I can tell the listeners what the scene was like. As you listen to today's show, just imagine... We're about a block off Beale Street. The street outside is jam-packed with people, despite the fact that it's about 99 degrees and it's raining <laughs> off and on. I've never felt humidity like that in my life. Yet, people were packed into the Center for Southern Folklore like sardines, dancing like there was no tomorrow. It was crazy. I'll add to it, I've never been so exhausted after a Beale Street Caravan taping ever. Well, Kevin, let's get to we it. We should. I've talked Here's the Daddy Mac Blues Band live on Beale Street Caravan.
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> oh, we we got a few more minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. We are. We gonna do another one. For the folks just tuning in, you're listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Here's more from the Daddy Mac Blues Band. My thing is still tight, you know what I mean. But thing got so tough. Then, you know, we, we just made a song out of Great Recession Blues. All right. Thank you, thank you. Blue. Got the bravery, blue. 
was the Daddy Mac Blues Band live on Bill Street Caravan. To learn more about Mac Orr and the Daddy Mac Blues Band, look the guys up on Facebook. You can also find out more through Inside Sounds, a great record label out of Memphis. I want to take a quick second to remind our listeners that Bill Street Caravan is also available as a podcast. You can subscribe to it through Apple's iTunes store. Just subscribe and the program will automatically be sent to your phone each week and you can listen at your leisure. Up next, we continue our series, The Man Who Invented Rock and Roll, a series of interviews from the Bill Street Caravan archives with the legendary producer Sam Phillips. Each week, we listen in as Sam tells us these amazing stories about the artist he worked with, who through his genius and studio wizardry, created defining moments in American music history. This week's installment is the last in the series, and it's a pretty special one. We're going to leave this out originally because it doesn't deal with a specific artist. It's Sam just sort of discussing his philosophy on songwriting, and he's doing so in a very general sort of way. This is taken from a series of interviews done way back, and they were conducted by our founder, the recently departed Sid Selvage. So it's really kind of neat at the beginning of the segment when you hear Sid ask Sam about his thoughts, which is funny because all you had to do was ask one question, Mm -hmm. and Sam would just expound on it and take you to all these different places that you never even Mm -hmm. knew your question alluded to. (laughs) That's basically what happens. Here we go. How would you go about choosing songs with with Willie or Joe Hill or any of these guys? I mean, would they come in with the material or or, uh, did you have material there already or would... I mean, I know now it's, 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 you know, it's such an industry where you've got the songwriters there and, you know, this sort of thing, but... That's an interesting question, uh, said um, material. When I was recording practically nothing but black artists before I even recorded uh, any white artists to speak of at Memphis Recording Service and later on Sun Records, the material usually was in the heart and the soul and the head of the people that came in to sing. The reason I knew that is that uh, in the days when I was coming up in Alabama on a little farm and my older sisters would take me, I was the youngest of eight young'uns, kids, (laughs) and they would take me to their um, little square dances once a month where they'd take all the furniture out of the living room and if it was not raining, they'd put it out on the porch or in the yard and I, as a little skinny boy, Irene, my sweet little old sister, only had two sisters and, and, and six brothers, or five brothers. And I would sit in the corner and observe uh, these people. And they sang a lot of the old songs, but a lot of them, they just, these were white, quote-unquote, country musicians. But they weren't professional musicians, quote-unquote. They were people that had day jobs for sure during the Depression of the 30s, and but they would make great music. Well, I picked that up, and then uh, in my youth in Alabama with the great uh, cotton pickers that were on the farm uh, with my dad and the other tenant farmers, uh, there was always songs being sung that I hadn't heard because I was young. But um, uh, making up a song was a part of the rendition of it with them. Uh, Black and white people, too. Right then. I mean, it was just, and, and I think, and I know later on, 
uh, I found out it was their experiences they had gone through or it was the hopes that they had of something good happening to them in the future. And that, to me, is the greatest songwriting in the world. Uh, it's kind of really uh, the hope of uh, that pot at the end of the rainbow, you know. Uh, uh, songs and thinking about life and what you've experienced and what you hope for, in essence, is your life. So to answer your question, Sid, uh, compositions that were in the head of the different people that I recorded, uh, even some of the white artists uh, that I recorded, but not as much so as with the black artists. Uh, they came in and all they needed was someone that understood and could relieve them of some of the anxiety that goes with saying, oh Lord, I can't miss this opportunity. I've never had an opportunity like this before. I can't blow it. Well, I had to make sure that one way or the other, and, it, and, it, and you had to work with everyone differently. I mean, everyone had a different spot you had to touch in order to relieve them of that soul, they could give you a rendition like they were doing it at home, uh, doing it on the back porch, or in real familiar surroundings, and nothing was uh, on the line, so to speak, except just enjoying what they were doing and saying and singing. So that, to me, was one of the great uh, essences of what I brought to the recording world. Uh, and and, and I, I mean that bragging or not bragging. I just, had I not uh, done that, I would have just been another cat in there recording, quote unquote, commercially. Well, I wanted things to be commercial, but at the same time, I wanted them to say something in the style, the feel, the experience of these people that had not been said before because they didn't have the opportunity. And then some that were some of the great artists like uh, Nat King Cole and, and, and you could name uh, Count Basie and all that. Uh, and they were influenced by white people. And that's okay up to a certain point. But uh, I just feel like outside of through their jazz process, as an example, uh, Duke Ellington. I mean, this guy was going to get his licks in, even on the so-called pop stuff that he was required to, uh, required to record. Uh, so uh, I saw that as actually keeping things in the cage that needed to be let out. And so that's, uh, that's where we went about attempting to do that. And uh, as impatient as I am, uh, patience was required. And patience was a part of whatever success that I had. But it also was very important that I let them know that, my God, I'm in this thing with you. I mean, you'd be surprised how much that helps that you accept some of the blame. 
if it doesn't come off, you accept some of the accolades if it does come off. That way, you got a project together and it makes a difference. We're going to take a quick break for local announcements and station ID, but when we come back, we'll have more from the Daddy Mac Blues Band on the program with us. In fact, Mac will be here in the studio, so stick around. Caravan is supported in part by an award from the Tennessee Arts Commission and Arts Memphis. We're back and we're about to hear from today's feature artist, the Daddy Mac Blues Band. Mac is the greatest guy in the world. We're lucky to know him and Memphis is lucky to have him. Mac found time in his busy schedule to come by the Bill Street Caravan studio and chat with Pat. So let's listen in. Well, I am here with Mac, who is the founder of the Daddy Mac Blues Band, and he came into the Bill Street Caravan Studios to talk with us a little bit. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. You all right? I can't complain one bit. Good, good, good. <laughs> so, it's very strange to call you Mac because you just want to call you Daddy Mac. It's well, just a term of endearment. Uh, either way, <laughs> Mac, Daddy Mac, you know, they call me Mac, Daddy Mac. Uh, Mac Daddy. You, <laughs> you accept all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you're you originally from Como, Mississippi. Como, Mississippi. And um, great blues tradition in that in that whole area, all of North Mississippi. Let's not even just try to narrow it down well, to one area. Yeah, yeah, well. So playing the blues for you, was it, you know, was it one of those natural things where you had somebody who taught you how to play? Well, when I first started to learn to play, I would ask people questions about, you know, I had a friend of mine, Rick Earl, used to play with uh, Little Milton, Camel, mm -hmm. and uh, me and his wife was working together on the album. And so we got to talking one day about our food with guitar. So she said, my husband play, you know. And I said, do. I said, I want to meet him. And so she said, you can meet him. And so I started going over to his house, and we'd sit down, and he'd show me different stuff, and I'd go out and watch people play. And then I'd get back to the house. I would try it. A lot of time I'd be laying down at night, and something I'd be fooling with during the daytime, couldn't get it right. And I'd wake up at night just thinking, I said, oh, I know I'd do that. I'd get up and go in the bathroom with my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> So once you relaxed and you stopped yeah. trying, it uh, came yeah, to you. Yeah, right. Uh -huh. That's it. That's a very interesting metaphor for life. Often we're pushing so hard to do yeah. things, and mm -hmm. then when we relax and just let it happen, yeah, it all falls right. into place. Uh -huh. <laughs> when you just lay it and think about it, you know, say so what I'm doing wrong, you know. Well, I mean, how long have you been playing? 
Uh, I would say about 28 years now. I got started late. Yeah. I was old when I started. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, but you picked it up pretty fast. And, pretty fast, yeah. And, uh, and so there wasn't like this calling for you when you were like 13 years no, old. Or... No. You know, a lot of time I wonder uh, if I had a, just got started when I was, say, 14 or 15. I don't know, but, you know, a lot of people say it just wasn't your time. Yeah. You know? Better late than never. I, I always say it's better late than never, you know. Before the Daddy Mac Blues Band, you know, you were you were playing around uh, town. Kevin Cubbins talked about the first time he saw you playing with the Phil Stones yeah. in Handy Park back yeah. before it had this huge, you know, amazing stage and everything when it was yeah. just like a... And a, a, <laughs> a little <laughs> hole in the ground, yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'd have bands come out there, and, and you were playing out there. What do you think is the big difference between, you know, playing back then and playing now? Well, the thing about now, I'm the boss. I started with the Fieldstone, and uh, so, you know, they started going down, getting sick or whatever. And so this guy, Will Roy Sanders, Mm-hmm. I know you remember him. He yeah. was with the Fieldstone. And uh, they started opening this club up over here, Green Lounge. Mm-hmm. And so his wife didn't have a band, and she never could get him to, you know, put <laughs> one together. And so I was laying in the bed one night, and she called me and asked me that I think I could put a band together and play at her club over there. I said, yeah, I think I'll try. So... Me and the bass player, we was playing with the Fieldstone and his brother, James, mm-hmm. with the Rhythm and Lead. So we all of us got together, and I put this band together and started from there. Now, Green's Lounge is, you know, was for years considered by people the blues club you came to if you came to Memphis and you wanted right, to hear right, real blues right. music. Green um, Lounge. It, it, it was, <laughs> I know, I wish that I could, it was sort of sad because I didn't really get to go there as much because I was, I was too I'll young. i tell you, that, was, that, was, that showed enough was a swinging place because a lot of people would be, you know, over there from overseas and everywhere, you know, because they, I reckon when they come in town, they would, people tell them, you know, they would be wanting to go and hear some blues. It's the Green Lounge. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody could tell them Green Lounge. You've been on the road a lot. Let, let's oh. talk about that. When I first met you, you know, some, oh my goodness, 15, 16 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, you're still working as a mechanic right. and you were just doing music, you know, playing some shows on the mm-hmm. weekends mm-hmm. and everything. And now you've been able to put more attention on your music, and right. you're out touring. I mean, yeah. you did 180 oh, shows yeah. last year. Yeah. You're working your way up to B.B. King, 360 days. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we, we did some traveling last year. We Oh, we went Florida, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Oklahoma, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, North Dakota, uh, Canada, uh, uh, Minnesota, woo, Wisconsin, you name what, it. What was the place I, that Iowa. you were just like, man, these are some blues fans here? Well, I like I like Canada. We went to Edmonton this time, Canada, Edmonton. And that, that was a kind of famous blues place there. We, we stayed there a week. Okay, Americans listening, and we've got to step up our game. <laughs> <laughs> if 
if you're going Edmonton, it was the oh, best yeah. list. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll also go back to, you know, we got a call that, you know, the Rolling Stones were going to be in town and their tour manager had a, it was her birthday. Yeah. And they wanted to do a special show. And so the executive director at the time, Howard Stovall, right. he called you. Yeah. And he said, hey, can you play this show? Did he tell you it was for the Rolling Stones and their crew? Did he well, give you any information about it? Well, he mentioned he mentioned a little bit about it. He said uh, he told me it was a party for the the manager, mm -hmm. the manager. He said all of them might be there. I think all of them might be there. Yeah. So he said you want to do it. I said yeah. I said I'll do it. And so we went there and uh, started playing. And I seen all these guys sitting over at this table over here. You know, I had that remote on my guitar. I, I didn't use a chord. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, the way I do now, I just kind of walk out through the crowd. And I walked over by this table and started back to the band stand. And I looked back, they come Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood. <laughs> and uh, they got the bass player guitar and James guitar. And we jammed a while. People were snapping pictures. And that, that, I tell you, that was a night to remember. Now, my rhythm guitar player, now he still think he's dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let, let me ask you a question about that. Being an African-American man from, you know, from Mississippi, when you go out and you're playing in all these clubs and you see a lot of the bands that are playing the music, playing blues music now, a majority of them are not black. This no, is the music right. that came from the African-American right. culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you went through segregation. You went oh, through, yeah. you know, all of the, the the rough years of fighting for the right to be equal and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And with blues being an inherent part of Mississippi culture and where you're from, how do you how do you feel about that? Does it matter? Does it, it, it you know, is your attitude as long as they play well, as long as they respect the music, or, you yeah, know? Yeah, well, I mean, you know... Uh, uh, yeah, longer they, you know, play the music. Cause, you know, I I I be out a lot of time, and here's some young people, white, black, and uh, it, it's surprise, kind of surprising, cause you know a lot of most of young people lack rap and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I run up on quite a few, white and black young people. They wanna know how to play the blues because they watch me when I be playing and taking pictures and stuff and ask me different questions and stuff about, you know, playing. Do you think it's your responsibility to sort of pass pass it on to, you know? Yeah, well, I, I have no problem with that, you know, because I ask people a lot of questions when I was trying to learn. And mm -hmm. I don't mind. I don't ever mind if somebody asks me something. I try to show them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, that don't bother me. Well, thank you for coming in and talking to well, us. I appreciate I it. Really, really enjoyed this. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it, too. And uh, we're going to get back to more of Daddy Mac Blues Band Live at the Center for Southern Folklore in Memphis.
Did you like that song? Did you like that song? That man right there. You got to talk to him about that. Because <laughs> he's written that song. I almost left him. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Here's more from the Daddy Mac Blues Band. Showtime, okay? Showtime. 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 Here we go.
The Daddy Mac Blues Band live on Bill Street Caravan. To learn more about the band, find them on Facebook or through the Inside Sounds website. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Special thanks to our sponsors, the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau, Arts Memphis, and the Tennessee Arts Commission for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook and other social media outlets for updates and special features related to our program. And please, y'all, support public radio. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. Next week on the program, we'll have the one and only Tony Joe White and rising folk artist Mark Edgar Stewart. Until next time, I'm Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cubbins. You've been listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan.